Today's gospel parable is the second of three in chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel. They have a similar message. Being prepared to meet the Lord at the end of time. Each of these three parables speak about readiness, about what to do in the meantime, and about judgment. First parable was the one we heard last week about the ten bridesmaids. Five were wise, prepared for the wedding banquet, and five were foolish, and they weren't ready. The third parable, which we will hear next Sunday, is about the separation of the sheep and the goats. When we hear these parables from Matthew, as he brings them into his gospel at the end of Jesus' public ministry, whose chapter 26 is the beginning of uh, Matthew's account of the Passion of the Lord, we pay attention. The end of each of the parables gives an account of pretty harsh judgment. Serious consequences for those who have not understood Jesus' teaching or have not learned to live them. The destiny of the five foolish bridesmaids who were shut out of the wedding, the goats who were condemned, and the third servant who was thrown out into the darkness makes us sit up and take notice. The catchword, the sort of twist in today's parable, I think hinges on the word talent. In Jesus' time, a talent was a unit of currency. And apparently it was worth a lot of denarii, some five, six thousand denarii, and a denarius was a usual day's wage. So even one talent was a considerable amount of money to be entrusted with. To read the parable as a lesson in wise investment might be one approach. And we would commend the first two servants as being diligent in their service to the master, and we would think a lot less of the third and might well agree that he deserves some punishment. But as with every parable, we have to be careful that we don't interpret the parable in terms of, in this case, economics. Or we might conclude that Jesus is condoning the current thinking, as acceptable then as it is now, that it's okay for the rich and the smart to get richer and smarter, and for the poor, well, to stay poor. So maybe the word talent catches our attention in another way because we have a slightly different notion of it in popular discourse. That we think of talents as gifts. We think of talents as abilities and charisms. Because as disciples of the Lord, we believe that all of these talents come from God and are freely given to us. And those talents are not measured over against what others have, either in the number or in the nature of them. After all, Paul tells us that all gifts are necessary. 
And the Gospel says that they received each according to their abilities. In, in our world today, I suppose we could say that um, an example might be if, if someone needs uh, a wheelchair or a walker for mobility, chances are they're not going to be recruited by the Chicago Blackhawks, each according to their ability. If someone can't carry a note, chances are they're not going to be on stage at the city opera. If someone like me, favorite cookbook, or the yellow pages, if you still have them, under R for restaurants, <laughs> chances are I'm not going to be asked to be the chef at the Ivy in Wheaton. We are called according to our abilities, and each is entrusted to us by the Lord, and each is good, each is sacred, we are children, all children of the light. Our talents, however, are spiritual gifts. Not silver or gold, not mobility, not skills. And the law of spiritual gifts says that spiritual gifts multiply when we share them. They increase, in the case of the parable, by twice as much. Spiritual giving increases the spiritual well-being of the giver and of the receiver. The laws of physical giving say that once you give a thing away, it's gone. But the laws of spiritual giving, the spiritual goodness that is of God, says that when spiritual gifts are given away, a lot more are available from God. They flow through us to each other. Maybe a good example, a good model, is the woman in the reading from Proverbs for today. This book of spiritual wisdom. And she is praised for all her good works, not just as a wife, but as a member of the larger community. For she has an honored place at the gates of the city. The key line in this text, it seems to me, is that all she does is because she fears God. This is not a fear of judgment, but it is to be, as the biblical notion of fear is, it is to be in awe, in gratitude of God, with great respect for God. And out of that does she live. There is another proverb that says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it makes sense when we think of it in that term. Her talents are in the form of the actions that she does on behalf of others. Selfishness is not part of her life. Seeing the gospel parable in this light then begs the question, what is asked of us so that we might share in the master's joy. The master in the parable has confidence in every one of his servants. They're not asked to compete against each other, but to use wisely what each of them has received. The third servant wants to keep the talent that he has. He wants to keep it safe. 
For good reason, perhaps. Because we all know there's, there's a great risk in taking Jesus seriously. There's a risk in going where we would rather not go. Doing what we would rather not do. But in the end, we are invited to share in the Master's joy. The spiritual joy that we share in is the very joy of the Lord who is happy to bestow upon us these many gifts. The scriptures are full of God's delight and generosity. It's just the way God is. God gives. Being being diligent with our gifts means we're always ready to encounter the Lord, constantly investing in the love of God. And so we remember that a talent buried is not a talent saved. It is a talent lost.